Good evening. You are listening to a Rattleage Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattleage. And tonight, our favorite show is Ted Lasso Season 1. Joining me tonight, and this is like the first time he's been on one of these in ages, probably not since Daredevil many, many years ago. Ladies and, right. ladies and gentlemen, uh, from the Casual Heroes podcast and uh, briefly, uh, gosh, what was the name of the wrestling one again that you did? With Pat for a little the, bit, uh, the bunkhouse stampede. The bunkhouse stampede. Yes. That's right. Lex Luger ain't no oh, Lex Luger ain't no cowboy. No, ladies, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's Gavin Napier. How do you do, sir? I'm doing well. A uh, little past my normal bedtime, but that's all right. I'm going to live adventurously this evening. Oh, uh, I'm sorry we were keeping you up late, but hey. We got some exciting things to talk about here. Gavin um, and I have known each other for quite a number of years now. And Gavin is notoriously uh, particular about what he watches on TV. He has, if you thought Robert Winfrey had fine taste, you haven't met Gavin Napier. <laughs> a lot of Robert's and my tastes overlap. Yeah, they certainly do, Ollie. So, um, you know, Gavin has known me as a podcaster almost the entire uh, length of our friendship. And, you know, he knows that I like to do these TV reviews. And he popped up one day and he said, hey, there's a show that I think you would like. I really like it. And that gave me pause. <laughs> because when Gavin Napier likes something, I'm like, this must be fantastic. I, I must see what he's talking about. I would not have in a million years watched Ted Lasso of my own volition. I'm not a big soccer fan. I did not know what a Ted Lasso was. I don't. I know now. I've done the research. But you know, other than the fact that this came, uh, this has won a lot of awards for being a television show. I really had no, didn't know what it was or had any interest in it. But you were like, "Hey, I really want to talk about Ted Lasso. We should get together and do that." So, what drew you to this show? What made you want to watch it? Honestly, seeing a lot of the praise for it, mm -hmm. um, typically <clears throat> I don't go for the shows that get a lot of critical praise. Um, yes. I tried Lovecraft Country three or four episodes and I just sort of faded out. Um, I've never been big on American Horror Story. Um, things like uh, the sitcoms that are on network television now, like Big Bang Theory and the Goldbergs. The Goldbergs held my interest for episodes here and there, but it's nothing that I go out of my way to watch. Sure. But the the way that critics spoke about Ted Lasso was a little different. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't just a well-done, well-acted, well-shot comedy. It, it was the tone of the show that got so much praise. Um, and, and much like our, our friend Pat, I like things from the 80s and 90s when things were simpler. Um things tended to be a little more positive not everything had to be dark and gritty mm. um the the biggest hesitation that i had the starting ted lasso was the fact that i don't like soccer at all i don't know anything about it i don't want to know anything about it um i cheer actively against the men's national team in all international <laughs> competitions um it's just not something that appeals to me but 
I do like Jason Sudeikis. Um, not a huge fan, but I find him likable. And I thought, well, I'll give this a shot for an episode. It's not mm-hmm. going to hurt to sit down and give this 30 to 45 minutes and see where it goes from there. Um, and I don't like to binge things. I like to draw them out. So I drew out watching it over about a three or four week period and really enjoyed it. It was, um, I think, uplifting and, and likable might be the two best words that I have to describe it. You are uh, not kidding, man. I I like you. You know, um, I watch a lot of shows that, you know, I, I famously, and mark your bingo cards, everybody, you know, one of my favorite shows ever is The Wire. It doesn't get much grittier than that. You know, um, I was a huge fan of The Shield. I know you're a huge fan of Justified by the same guy. I, I like Justified, too. Um, I like of the more modern stuff that we haven't talked about on here because it's obvious I watch the Marvel and the Star Wars shows and whatnot. But um, I, you know, I used to watch Rescue Me, and uh, I like the the morning show that's also on Apple Plus. I, I do like the morning show. Uh, I thought th- I thought they did a good job with that. Um, so you know, I, I tend to watch more serious stuff. Uh, oh, Miss America on Hulu, I really like. That was a a mini series. It was just one season and that dealt with the the real life struggle between Phyllis Slafly and uh, what's her face the, the on the other side of that fence. Um, they're the feminist lady. Anyway, um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, I really like Mrs. America. That sort of thing. That 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 sort of stuff appeals to me. Point being, um, this was quite the change of pace. Not even just because of soccer, the soccer thing. It, this is such a positive show. Mm-hmm. This is such a a genuine feel good show. But yeah. for but but very, it's adult themed without being overly adult. Like there's right. no nudity that I could see that I re- <laughs> remember. They they you know it. This being British and in some cases a little Cockney British, you, you get the occasional <laughs> the occasional swear word here or there. Um, but it's, you know, again, it's not the wire. Right. And they're able to be positive. They're able to be feel good without mm-hmm. being overly saccharine yeah. uh, and without being hokey. Uh, really the entire cast of characters, even the people that aren't terribly likable, mm-hmm. uh, I found myself rooting for them because you can sort of get an idea early on. Not that the show is predictable, because it does manage to throw a few curveballs in, which I'm sure we'll we'll touch on some of those moments. Um, but you can sort of get an idea for where the character arcs are headed. Uh, yes. You may not know exactly how you're getting there, but you can sort of see the end result coming from a distance. Um, but it does so, like I said, without being overly saccharine and hokey. Um, it, it just, it really impressed me with its ability to balance between still being adults, still being able mm-hmm. to drop a few four letter words in there from time to time, uh, addressing some, some real issues like father son relationships from multiple perspectives and divorce and loneliness. And mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a lot of really heavy stuff in here, but they address it in a way that it's easily digestible and you find yourself rooting for the people involved. Yeah, there's um, even the people like you. I think you said it really well. Even the people who you wouldn't necessarily root for, you know, they're they're kind of the dicks of the show. You know, the the villains. You do when you when you see their side of things, you you can sympathize. Mm-hmm. And one character in particular at the very end of the show, and I think you know what I'm talking about here, and we'll get there. 
but they, they, there's a quick flash of something that happens in the last episode, and you're like, oh, I didn't like that guy, but that shouldn't happen to anyone. That's sad. Right. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, it's said at towards the end of the show, but I want to bring it up now, and then we'll jump into episode one. I think where the show really won me over, because I have to be honest with you, it was a slow start for me, and mm -hmm. I kind of like, I'm going to do this because I want to talk about it with Gavin. I want to see what all the hubbub's about, and, and I'm sure it's going to get better, so just be patient. But the first couple episodes were a bit of a drag for me. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle, I started to see where it was going. And I'm like, okay, this is fine. I get why I get why Gavin likes this. But I'm like, I'm like, I'm still with it. I'm still with it. But you know, it's not my favorite show ever. Then Ted Lasso says towards the end, um, well, what's the line? Uh be help me out here. Be curious, not judgmental. Be curious, not judgmental. Just tears streaming down my face. I'm like, oh, that, that I, I put that on TikTok. I put that on Facebook, on Twitter. That became my new mantra. Be curious, not judgmental. I was like, wow, if nothing else, now I, I, I real the show really resonates with me. So that's where it won me over. I was like, okay, I get the perspective of this show now. So this aired from August 14th, the season one, that's all we're going to talk about tonight. I know season two will end October 8th, and we'll get there in about a month. But uh, for now, we're just going to talk season one. And here's the pilot, which took place on August 14th, 2020. Recently divorced, Rebecca Welton is the new owner of AFC Richmond, a struggling team in the Premier League. To seek revenge on her ex-husband, who cheated on her multiple times and was never blamed for it, Rebecca resolves to hire the most incompetent coach she can fine to ruin the club as it was the only thing her ex ever loved to this end she hires ted lasso a college football coach from kansas city ted has recently coached the ncaa division two football team to a title but knows nothing about soccer uh, arriving in richmond with his assistant coach beard he tries to connect with his new compatriots with with his positive folksy charm but the team hates him anyway he is thought of as a rube but it soon becomes clear he is smarter than he looks. In his apartment at night, he speaks to his son and wife on the phone and hints that he took the job because uh, his wife wanted some space. So right off the bat, Gavin, as soon as I figure, as soon as he, they, the big reveal at the end of episode one is she was doing this to sink the team. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, this is major league. Right. Yeah. How soon before they put up the the poster board of her and quickly peel <laughs> peel parts of it off, yeah. you know, showing her naked boobs? And, and I don't I don't think it helped that comparison that she had Higgins, who was very much the the stuffed shirt, like you mm -hmm. saw in Major League as well as the assistant that was basically a step and fetch and did mm -hmm. her bidding at the crack of a whip. Um, it, there were certainly a lot of similarities there. Um, but I was able, you know, I had those same hesitations. Um, and Major League is one of my favorite comedies of all time. I love baseball. Mm -hmm. I love Corbin Burnson. Um, oh, Major those were, great. Those were the, the golden years of Charlie Sheen. Sure. Um, so, I, and it's a fun movie. Um, but it, it wasn't necessarily something that I needed to see a soccer version of on right. Plus. Um, but then, like you said, there at the end of the show, when you, you get that little hint about who Ted is away from sports. Mm -hmm. um, he obviously cares very much about his wife, cares very much about his son, and his marriage is not in a good place. And 
instinctively you're like, oh, that sucks. Um, mm-hmm. Because even through that first episode, uh, I think Jason Sudeikis plays Ted Lasso in such a way that he feels very real. He feels mm-hmm. very genuine. And I think a big part of what helps that is not just Jason Sudeikis's delivery, because I, I, he absolutely deserved the Golden Globe that he won for playing Ted Lasso. Um, but I think a big part of that, and I think one of the unsung heroes of the show is Coach Beard and the dynamic between Ted and Coach Beard, because they feel like real friends. Yeah, there's a part of the show where um, Beard, I don't want to skip around too much. I do want to go through these episode by episode, but there are, I, there's so much I want to talk about that happens later that is set up in this first episode, which goes to the strength of the writing of this show. The things that are set up in episode one pay off in episode seven, eight, yeah. nine, ten. And it's like, wow, this is really good writing, deceptively good writing, because you yep. think it's going to be kind of a dumb show when you first watch it. Um, but there's a, there, there's going to come a point where the elder fellow on the team, um, you know, they, they're going to they need to bench him. He's he's too slow at this point. You know, the people are running circles around him, and they're at and you know, and they're facing the toughest team in the league with one of their former teammates. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you got to bench him, and he, you know, and he can't bring himself to do it. And then Coach Beard was, keeps giving him the cold shoulder. And like yeah. literally, like Ted keeps trying to step near him, and Beard's just ignoring him. And then he moves over and he's like, Oh, is that how it's going to be? Yep. Beard just no sells us the entire time. And it's, it's, I don't know if anyone's going to understand this, but I, I, I know you will. Real guys, real dudes will interact that way. Yes. Like they, yes, they, they're not, they're not going to be like, they're not going to tell you. You're 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 upsetting me. They're just gonna be like, I'm not gonna deal with you and yep. just walk away. Um, it, it, yeah. So when you say like they're real, they feel like real friends. They feel like there's a real relationship there among men. Um, all of that was very true. The other thing that I I I wanted to point out, and again, it comes, it pays off later on. The thing that made Ted Lasso really relatable to me is, and I know um, not not to get too deep into this part of your personal life, but I know you are deep in the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. You're, I, you're uh, some leadership in the Christian faith in mm-hmm. your local church. I'm an associate pastor, which is associate. it's kind of like being the vice president. It's a nice position, but I don't have any real authority. <laughs> um, you can't condemn people to hell. But um, I do, I think, is, and I'm going to focus on the Christian faith, but this is probably any religion. You do try to live up to the tenets of your faith. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody is perfect. And you evolve, you know, over time and, you know, you mature through age, hopefully. Um, and so you do really try to be positive and it gets hard because, you you know, no matter how no matter you're always going to be surrounded in, to some degree by people who are not as mature, not as even as old as you. And so it becomes sometimes harder to maintain that level of um, maintain that level of decency uh, is one word. And so you have Ted Lasso here, and this is the point that I'm getting at, who is so positive and, you know, and he's trying so hard and that's still not enough to keep his wife invested in this marriage. Yeah. And that breaks my heart. Yeah. You know, like later on when they deal with that more and we'll talk about it when she's like, look, you're not it's not that you're a bad guy. I just can't be with you. And you're like, what did he do to deserve this? He's such, yeah. a, he's such a good dude. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go move on to episode two here. Uh, on the fir- on his first day at AFC Richmond, 
Ted attempts to win over the players and management. He brings Rebecca shortbread as a present. I love this bit. <laughs> she she rebuffs his attempt at friendliness, but becomes obsessed with the biscuits. He quickly sees the team has a division in the locker room. Roy Kent, an aging star, is constantly angry and at odds with Jamie Tart, a young egotistical talent. Seeing that another player, Sam Absinya, uh, is homesick for Nigeria, Ted throws him a birthday party, even though the team had lost a game earlier in the day. Trying to win over Jamie, Ted seeks advice from Keely, Jamie's model girlfriend. She advises, she advises praise, which Ted does. In an attempt to cause more problems for the team, Rebecca has a tabloid photograph, uh, photograph of Lasso and Keely seemingly being intimate with each other with the intent of enraging Jamie. It is revealed that Ted bakes the biscuits he gives Rebecca himself. Um, at this point, have they gotten the towel boy as part of the coaching staff yet? I can't remember. If, if I don't think he's moved yet. up quite yet, but okay. I, I think we're still at the excuse me point where he's very caught off guard by the fact that Ted and Coach Beard actually treat him like a human being. Yeah. Um, which, which, again, is very endearing and certainly don't want to get too deep into the weeds or spoil anything for mm -hmm. season two, but the character art for Nate is, is fantastic through the first five episodes of season two. Um, so, you know, again, you mentioned the strength of the writing. Um, the fact that Nate shows steady development even into the second season and is absolutely nothing like who we see in the first two episodes. Mm -hmm. um, he's really one of the more intriguing characters for me at this point, but, Again, the wholesomeness of Ted Lasso, the fact that, you know, he he recognizes that Sam is homesick and, and mm -hmm. Sam is one of the more likable side characters. Um, he's played very well. He, he has played with a, an earnestness that makes yeah. it easy to root for him, easy to like him. Um, and Ted just doing something to lift his spirits just because um, right. baking, baking the shortbread cookies. Um, because that's that's who Ted Lasso is. He's the guy that goes the extra mile to win people over. Um, and Jamie is not a likable character. He, he is the rich prick that's entitled and he knows he's good and he's not long for the team, in, in his opinion. Um, and so you, you get your first hint of a villain, um, mm -hmm. but as we'll talk about, even the villains have some sympathetic points to them. Um, to me, once you got past episode two, the show really began to take off. Um, yeah, we're still introducing characters and plot points here. We're yeah, still work. Uh, plot points, and I think some of those traits of the characters. Mm -hmm. um, because you see that even with the owner, Yes, she's trying to destroy the team, and, and yes, she's actively working against Ted Lasso, but I think it's in, in episode two that you start to really get the sense that she's more than angry. She's just genuinely hurt, and, and yeah. she's lashing out. Um, so you see these very human responses from characters, and, and this was where the differentiation from Major League starts to happen. Because there was nobody this likable in Major League. Every everybody was sort of a a boozing, drinking, cocky, aging, angry, philandering, whatever. Well, more uh, so than that, she's destroying this. She she used the word hurt, and that's the best way to describe her. Her husband cheated on her for years and years and years, and she and and you said lashing out. 
the the mo- the motive for the manager or the owner of the team in Major League was she wanted a new stadium. Yeah. She wanted to wreck the team yeah. because then they, she could move them to Miami or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, you know, so where, where she's just an unlikable villain with no redeeming qualities, Rebecca is an actual human being. Right. Who's, who's just right now making some bad decisions because bad things happen to her, mm-hmm. which is a common theme throughout this. You know, that's what I was alluding to with Ted. Mm-hmm. You know, Rebecca's not a bad person. No. She's just making bad decisions right now because of circumstances. And Ted's not a bad person. But just because you're not a bad person, that doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. Right. Yep. Um, a couple of things about Jamie. And, you know, you talked about, like, he knows he's good. You know, this is a guy who who thinks he's the whole team. You know, and so it's what you don't realize when you first watch the show and it comes up later is that Ted's, Ted Lasso's managing style, which is not directly stated. And again, this is a credit to the writing. It's all very subtle. It's an There's a subtext to his coaching style, which is basically if I create, if I create an environment for the team where they like each other and they're willing to work together, then they'll just get better. This isn't a matter of I have to drill them to death. Right. You know, or I have to get ringers. I have to get the, you know, I have to put together the Florida Marlins of, of, of your, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I have to draft the best players to create the super team. It's just create an environment of trust and love and they'll do the rest. Right. Um, and that's to me what the birthday party thing was all about. It was yeah. like, you'll play better if you're not sad. Yeah. Um, which, which, which I thought was really great. You know, um, again, they write the character, they use the word in the description in the plot stops, they use the word like folksy, but he really he's able to m- subtly manipulate, but in a good way. Right. Um, but by identifying, you know, people's characters and personalities and whatnot and how to, and how to bring the best out of them. That, and then that is the best kind of management style. And also the thing about Jamie is um, he, he realizes that he's got to get Jamie to buy into the team. Because Jamie's that guy on the team that, like, I don't need the team. I can do it all myself. Which is why they're not playing as effectively as they sh- as they should. And Ted's goal with Jamie is to be, you know, you're, you're, this isn't weightlifting. This isn't wrestling. This is soccer. you got to play as a team. Um, all right. Episode three. Knowing the tabloid newspaper The Sun has photographs of them, Ted and Keeley go to Rebecca. She has their publication stopped, but fearful they'll be traced back to her. But in exchange, Ted has to spend the day with... Trent Krim, a tough reporter. Oh, I love this character, by the way, for the Independent. Uh, Krim arrives skeptical. He finds out Ted's new plays were conceived by Nate, the kit man. When Krim asks him about the appropriateness of throwing Sam's birthday party after the previous week's loss, Ted tells him he's not concerned with wins and losses. Ted, Krim, and Roy go to a local school event and win over the children. Roy reluctantly confronts Jamie and a few other players who have been bullying Nate. Ted invites Krim to dinner at a restaurant owned by the driver who picked him up at the airport. Ted, never having had Indian food before, gets very spicy food, but eats it all to be polite. Krim's write up about the Lasso way is positive, enraging Rebecca. I love this. This is this is this was when it started to really win me over mm-hmm. because when he first meets the press, they're all like, "You're an asshole, and you're ruining our sport." Like, I I know the rest of the world takes soccer seriously. But I just, it's not just something I actively thought about. And so the idea of this guy perceived to be not the best fit 
for soccer, considering he was a football coach and doesn't know anything about the sport. And they're all like, it's an outrage. It's why are you here? And Ted just being Ted wins him over because the guy's at least giving him a chance and being fair-minded about it. And it results in a positive article. Like, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Like, that is a, that is a really great bit of storytelling. And, and the way they got there, it, it nothing felt forced. Right. Um, you mentioned in episode two about, you know, Ted has this style and it's never spelled out. And I think that's one of the things that the show does very well. Mm-hmm. There is no ham-fisted exposition about anything. The characters just behave in a natural way that lets you pick up on who they are. Right. Um, and so Ted just being a genuinely decent human being, um, I think we've all probably had some of the moments that Ted has in this episode, particularly being at a meal where you get something that you're not a hundred percent sure about, but you eat it because it's the polite thing to do. Right. Um, I know that I've had those meals. Um, I remember the first time that I was served couscous. I wanted to vomit. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> when, it, when it was, when it was served to me, there was no seasoning. Mm-hmm. There was no butter. There was no, it was just couscous. It, Couscous. The, it was the equivalent of plain white rice with nothing added. And mm. I was 13, 14. No, it was bad. <laughs> but I ate it. I didn't ask for seconds, but I ate it because I was in someone else's home and I wasn't sure. going to insult them. And, you know, we don't, we don't see the driver again. You know, we, he's not a recurring character. He's not someone that is exceptionally important to the overall plot of the show. But the fact that Ted treats him with dignity and respect and politeness, even to his own suffering, mm. it, it gives you a very quick glimpse of who Ted is. And knowing that one of his biggest critics is along for the ride on that, those are the types of things that tend to win people over. Um so you start to see Ted begin to make a little bit of headway with one of his biggest critics, which sets up you know, the the overall arc of Ted in the, the first season, is that eventually people come around and say, you know what, he, he's not such a bad guy. We can right. we can work with this. It's interesting because it also it, it editorializes sort of the perception um, many people of Britain might have of people of the United States. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you have New York, Chicago, and, and Los Angeles as these big metropolitan areas, but most of the country is the Midwest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the South. It's the people with the accents like Ted has. And, you know, Jeff Foxworthy, very famous comedian. I don't know if you're if you're a fan of his or not. I know you know who he is, but, yeah. <laughs> but he often talks about, like, nobody that talks the way that he does is ever taken seriously. Yeah. You know, like... He does like so he so he really like thickens up his accent and then he's like talk talk and then he's like 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 a doctor who sounds like I do. Well, what we gotta do is you know <laughs> yeah and the, and the patient no thanks I'll just die. Yep. Um and so again now what if you're British and you already think Americans are dumb you know just big fat dummies and this guy comes along sounding the way that he does it's like how can we even begin to take him seriously and then you spe- as you said you spend time with him and you're like oh. Oh, it's just an accent. It doesn't mean you're dumb. Yeah. You actually know what you're doing. The other thing I wanted to talk about real quick, and we'll move on to the next episode, is there's the overbearing manager, you know, the manager that has to throw his weight around. 
you know, you see these all the time in sports, you know, people or really in any walk of life where people have any kind of power, they feel the need to let everyone know they have how much power they have. And they go, and they feel the need to be very controlling. And one of the things you find out about Ted very quickly is he admits he doesn't know anything about sports. He has to depend on others. And there's no ego here. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's like the best manager of the kind, you know, um, I want to say it was, I don't know if you ever watched Deep Space Nine. Okay, so real quick, um, I believe it was an episode of Deep Space Nine where uh, they it's the first time I think Worf has like a command position and Worf is just barking orders at people and it's all a big mess. And finally, I think it's O'Brien who pulls him to the side. He was like, engineers will do what they what you need them to do. For God's sakes, just let them do it. Let the best, <laughs> let the best people do yeah. the job they're best at and they will work for you. But stop like being overbearing and barking orders. I mean, that's what Ted does. You yep. know, when Ted realizes that, um, what's his, what's the kit man's name again? Nate. When Nate knows more about the sport than he'll ever learn in a lifetime, he's like, fuck it, then let Nate make the plays. Yeah. That's what we're here for. We're, you know, we're here to have a team and everyone plays a role. Um, all right. Episode number four, for the children. The team loses again, prompting Roy and Jamie to fight even more. Rebecca, whilst preparing for the annual charity ball, learns that Robbie Williams canceled on her unexpectedly, so she relies on Higgins to find another musical act. Roy and Jamie constantly feud, provoking Keeley to become mad. Uh, Rupert, Rebecca's ex-husband, arrives and runs the auction. Uh, Ted, who's trying to control Roy and Jamie's arguments, deduces that Rupert was the one responsible for Robbie Williams canceling in order to embarrass Rebecca. Rebecca later bonds with Keeley, and she convinces Keely to break up with Jamie. Roy and Jamie make up and resolve not to fight anymore. Rebecca enraged at Rupert's sudden appearance and the fact that he donated one million pounds to the charity event to seem uh, better than her, gets drunk with Keely, and the two ride in a rickshaw. Ted helps Higgins find an unknown street performer to replace the previous musician, and he is met with great reception. Um, it was a little too convenient for my taste, but I'll tell you what, this is the first time you really get a sense of who and what Keely is. I love Keely. I think she's great. Yeah. I was very surprised by her development as a character. Mm -hmm. um, really enjoyed her arc. I found her very frustrating just because of the way she speaks. Yeah. Um, I, that, that was very grating to me for a while. Um, sure. But yeah, she's a good character um, and, and a shocking amount of depth to her character. Um you know, we talked about how even with those that you root against in this show, there is sympathy and you find yourself pulling for them to, to get the nose up and correct things. Mm -hmm. Rupert is the exception to that. He, yeah. is, he is the one person that you are allowed to wholeheartedly root against in this show because he plays the part of just being a pompous jerk so right. very, very well. Um, but a believable pompous jerk. He's yes. not a mustache twirly, over the top, maleficent dragon villain. Yeah, he's just an asshole. Yeah, and, and he's very good at it. Um, and I, I think some of the most alternately frustrating and satisfying moments are, are centered around him. And this was one of the more frustrating moments. Um, but it does an excellent job of making Rebecca more sympathetic. It, mm -hmm. it, it, you get a sense of what she has endured and her frustration is palpable. And we've all had those moments. Again, I think this is where the show succeeds because it takes these moments that everyone can relate to and it puts mm -hmm. them on the screen. We've all had the moments where somebody swooped in and stole the thunder 
and ruin the moment for someone either that we were close to or for us personally. And it's easy to not like that person. Um, yeah. I agree that the, the street performer was a little too convenient and it's probably the closest the show comes to getting a hokey, everything is hunky dory mm -hmm. ending. Yeah. Um, this, this goes a little too far in the Ted Lasso is magic direction. Yeah. You know, like, okay, everything he does is perfect and works out and like, all right, <laughs> it's a little it's a bit of an eye roll for me, but yeah. it was, it was, it did not happen enough, and especially because now we're going to get into Ted's marriage falling apart. Mm -hmm. That I that I forgave it rather quickly because yeah. I'm like, boy, is this the least of my problems? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, if if they have one moment like that per season, mm -hmm. I think they're doing exceptionally well. Um, this is where we also start to see Jamie and Keely start to fall apart, mm -hmm. and for Keely to go into the arms of um, what's his face there, Roy Kent. Yes, yes. The which leads Roy Kent, which leads to one of my favorite parts of this entire show. I kind of can't wait to talk about it, so I'll, I'll just say this now: when um, Nate is finally able to is given permission to give the the mid game speech, mm. and he looks at Roy, and he was like, "You used to run like you were mad at the grass." Yeah. I was like, that is the best written line ever. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get there. All right. Tan lines. Ted's wife, Michelle, and son, Henry. Oh, this episode. Ugh. Ugh. Garen. Gavin. Oi. Uh, Ted's wife, Michelle, and son, Henry, finally arrive, and they have fun together as a family until Ted finds his wife in tears. She confides in him that though she desperately wishes otherwise, her feelings for him and their relationship have changed. She promises to keep trying regardless. Keely attends a promotion shoot she had organized for Jamie. Rebecca and Roy both seem concerned that Keely is wasting her time with Jamie, but Keely reassures them that her relationship with Jamie is over. On the field, Jamie continues to refuse to pass to his teammates and scores goals alone, leading fans and commenters to believe the AFC Richmond is solely reliant on Jamie. Ted sees how bad this is for the team's morale and benches Jamie right before halftime. This is met with harsh criticism from fans. Unfazed, Ted encourages his team to embrace change and believe in themselves. The team works together and manages to break the 2-2 tie to win the match. Ted, Beard, and Nate rejoice with the team. Later that evening, Ted tells Michelle that she does not need to try for his sake to make their marriage work, bidding her and their son farewell. Oh, Gavin, this broke my heart. Yep. This because you know we've now had five straight episodes of Ted being the super positive rainbow man. Mm -hmm. You know, he was Captain Smiley Face. And then you you as a viewer don't want to see bad things happen to him. And bad things haven't really been happening to him. I mean, you know, get, winning and losing is just part of playing. Sport. Right, right. But, like, nothing truly horrible happened to him. And then his wife's like, it's not you, it's me, and I don't want to be with you anymore. And he, doing the right thing, as painful as it is, and setting her free and saying, please don't try for me anymore, I understand. But being obviously in love with his wife and not wanting his marriage to end, Ouch. Yeah. Like that brought tears to my eyes. I was like, this was this is really, I think, when the show hooked me for like like I am now I am now like I'm into this till the end because that was a truly heartbreaking moment. And I think the effectiveness of that moment was sort of built around the fact that nothing bad had happened to Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. And this this show is built on feel-good moments. Um it, it's built on 
Ted Lasso baking cookies for his boss. It's, mm-hmm. it's built on empowering Nate. It's built on getting Jamie out of a dis uh, and Keely out of a destructive relationship. Um, it's built on the relationship between Ted and coach beard. It's built on things that, that feel good. And so even throughout this episode, you have this sense of impending doom, like, Oh boy, <laughs> this is not going to end well. But then you have that moment where she says, look, I'm going to keep trying for you. You're like, okay, well, they're, they're going to make this work a little longer. They're going to keep the plane in the air uh, at least long enough to get to the runway. And then nope, it just slams into the side of a mountain. And it's like, oh, it's a gut punch. Um, but it's that gut punch is made all the more effective by the fact that the rest of the show has been so positive and uplifting and it gives you that much needed dose of reality that yeah sometimes no matter how hard you try things just fall apart i think as a viewer you can be lulled into being mad at the wife for giving away a perfectly good reasonable man yeah decent man but i know women who when they're not uh challenged by the person that they're with they lose interest and again, he's she's he didn't do anything wrong. She's not mad at him, but there's the downside to that unrelenting positivity. Yeah, you know it doesn't like, work for everyone. No, no, it doesn't. Um, for you know, for the people that do need to be challenged, for the you know, I people who have listened to my podcast long enough, occasionally my wife kind of will pass her or I'll tell stories about her, and they and they must think to themselves, why? How did you ever get married? And who? Why would anyone be with you? And my wife will say to anyone that, that asks her about it, I love the fact that my husband's an asshole, you know, <laughs> and can give me a ration of shit right back. And not every woman will, you know, look, there are plenty of women who like a nice lap dog for, you know, for a husband or whatever. But I would say in the, my vast experience with the ladies, um, many of them don't. Many of them want, want that challenge. Sure. And that's why I wasn't mad at Ted's wife. Because I, I understood yeah. where she was coming from. You know, like, I just, there's nothing in this relationship. You being who you are and seemingly never going to change, I just don't have a strong emotional response to you anymore. I love you because you're great and you're the father of my child, but I'm not in love with you. Yeah. And I'm like, that is a very relatable feeling. Yeah. But when she says it's not you... Mm-hmm. You're like, of course it's not you. It's Why would it be Ted Lasso's fault? <laughs> It, it's not possible that it could be Ted Lasso's fault, lady. You're stating the obvious, but no, it was it was very well done. It, it felt very authentic, as most things in the show do, um, and, and it really it, it does. It tugs at the heartstrings and gives you some sympathy for the character. The one thing I I, I was reading up that the Ted Lasso character was actually just a a spokesperson for the Premier League for NBC Sports. I think it was is what I read. And so essentially he was Ronald McDonald that they just developed into this character. And this is about when I had, when I was thinking back on that, cause I was reading, I would be reading through the Wikipedia as I was watching the show. And I was like, are you, he, that's it. This is, the, it's just the, like, they clearly made him overly positive and like, and super happy because they wanted that kind of thing to sell this, this, the soccer program. Yeah. But then they have to make him into a human being, and it's almost like they're sitting around the writers' table. I'm like, all right, so what? What? What is a person like that really like, and how do they affect other people? Mm-hmm. And in many cases, it'll be infectious and positive, but in some, you're going to lose them. They'll never accept you being this, being this way. Yes. 
Um, and the last thing I'll say about this, and then we'll we'll move on, is how sad that is at the end. Yeah, because he hadn't really. If, if, it's not a fault of the writing. This isn't an issue with they 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 wrote him badly. It's just the effect of writing a character this way is you don't see him. There's no range up until yeah. this point. He was kind of one note through the whole thing. He was he was like that constant drumbeat while everybody else is playing crazy guitars and whatnot. You know, and there's a trumpet player over here, and it's all sounds like fishbone. Um, and and then all of a sudden the drumming stopped. And now it's just kind of a light tap, you know, on, on the crash, uh, on the crash symbol or something. And you're like, oh, this character has more depth than I thought. Yeah. You know? um, I'm going to take a minute here and talk to you guys about Grammarly. Grammarly's AI products help people communicate more effectively. Um, Grammarly helps you write mistakes for you on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right, episode six. Ted struggles emotionally with the end of his marriage, like you would, but is buoyed by Richmond's first win. The press continued to treat Rebecca badly, calling her old Rebecca after Bex. I love this conversation, by the way. It was very, uh, it was very like Three Stooges, yes. um, or Laurel and Hardy. Uh, after Bex, whose full name is also Rebecca, begins dating Rupert, and Jamie and Ted continue to clash over his role with the team. Jamie sees his power weaken when Danny Rojas, a new enthusiastic player <laughs> who is just as good as Jamie, joins the team. The two form a rivalry, but Danny gets mysteriously injured, and Tendler. <laughs> This is so stupid. And Ted learns of ghosts haunting the team's treatment room. Ted makes the team sacrifice something special to, to them to lift the curse, and even Jamie joins in after inspirational words from Keeley. The next morning, Ted discovers that Jamie has been returned to Manchester City, who had loaned Jamie to AFC Richmond for the season. Danny tries to cheer him up, but nothing happens. Rebecca works to derail the team. Okay, I'll, I, I know I've been each round of this, I start off and I talk a lot and then you join in. I don't even know what to say here. You start. Football is life. <laughs> yes. Football, football is life. Is life. <laughs> uh, Danny Rojas is, is just a ray of sunshine. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed Danny Rojas tremendously. Um, I enjoyed the ceremony I, I, because, you know, not that my athletic career took me terribly far, but, you know, when you hit a losing streak, when something bad happens, you do get the feeling of bad juju and athletes do stupid things to, to break those slumps, break those streaks. And so, you know, the, again, it, it's a nice non exposition way to get some insight into the characters, um, to see what's important to them, to see what motivates them. And the dynamic of the team changes with Jamie leaving. Um, it, it it adds another layer to Rebecca's efforts to derail the team, to undermine Ted. Um, it changes how the team operates on the field. Um, it, it really, it's a paradigm shift as much as you can get in episode six of a show. Um, but it felt like this was, obviously it's the beginning of the second half of the season, but it did feel like a genuine launching point for the next set of story arcs. Um, mm -hmm. 
Ted's wife leaving him and, and leaving Ted very sad at the end of episode five, it felt like a natural closure to the first half of the season and season six with the introduction of Danny Rojas and the departure of Jamie. It really felt like you were shifting gears and headed towards a finale. Um, really an excellent job of writing and pacing the stories um, by the team. And I liked it. Not the most eventful episode, even though you do have the departure and, and arrival of characters. It was a very low-key episode to me, but I appreciated the character development that we got. Um, this was yet another example of Ted understanding that the psychology of the team is just as important, if not more important, than the physicality of the team. And him sort of going with the flow and using it as an opportunity for team building with the uh, the sacrificing and the appeasing of the ghost. <laughs> I thought it was great. You know, um, I... Like I said, I, I use the word dumb, and like it felt dumb to me. But when you see its purpose in the narrative, um, you're like, okay, I get it, and it's fine. You know, how many? There's lots of different ways they could have done this. They went with this one. It's fine. It was a, you know, and then you do you when you hear them when you hear Jamie genuinely kind of break down and talk about what it was like to try to, um, and this I very much related to. This is why, like I said, I can't totally hate Jamie. I know what it's like to have a father who's constantly disappointed in you, yep. and and you just doing everything you can to want you, your father to be proud of you and never quite getting there. Um, so I was like, I get you, Jamie. I get you. Uh, it's frustrating because it feels like Jamie finally has bought into the team concept. Like he's right. finally become a part of the team and now you've taken him away from it. Yep. And that's such great television writing. Just when you think things are starting to go up, whoof, they pull the other rug out from under you and you have to start all over again. And that was very much Ted's frustration with Rebecca in that one scene when he comes barreling into her office. This is also, I think, about when Higgins starts to lose his shit with Rebecca. Yep. Um, which, again, you think he's going to be a toady through the whole thing. And then you're like, no, he's actually like a real person and a good person. And he's tired of the shit. But what I like about that is also Rebecca's like, no, 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 no. You don't get to stand on terra firma. You don't get to be self-righteous. You let my husband cheat on me and did nothing about it. Like <laughs> you, you know, and so this is as much about punishing him as it is punishing Rupert and the team. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to just say real quick, I love subtext in a show. I love it when characters are able to communicate with their with their bodies and with their actions and not necessarily through gobs of exposition. Yeah. So the best scene of this entire show is Jamie and uh, Danny Rojas kicking the ball and um, and hitting the frame of the net. Yeah. You know, and trying to outdo one another. It was so good. That was the best. And even even when, when Jamie loses, Danny Rojas mm -hmm. is unrelentingly positive about it. Because <laughs> that was the show needed. It was more, was more unrelenting positivity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And also uh, ghosts. So I love this title of episode seven, make Rebecca great again. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get off on a side tangent about Trump or Biden or anything, but if Trump has any lasting legacy on the culture of, um, I mean, as a president uh, on the culture of the United States and the greater world is making that phrase a part of our lexicon. Yes. Make blah, blah, great again. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> and you, everyone uses it now. Make Rebecca great again. AFC Richmond travels to Liverpool for a game against the rivals Everton, which they have been unable to beat for the last 60 years. Oh, this is a great episode. The game is being held on the weekend of Rebecca and Rupert's wedding anniversary, so Keeley tags along the chair of Rebecca. 
They meet Rebecca's old friend, Flo Collins, who immediately takes a liking to Ted. And really, why wouldn't she? That night, Ted, reluctant to sign the divorce papers, gets drunk and snaps at Nate. The next morning, Ted apologizes and asks Nate to share some of his ideas. Nate gives the team an inspiring, insulting pregame speech, and they win the game. That evening, the team goes out to celebrate at a karaoke bar where Rebecca reveals her beautiful voice. Ted tries to enjoy the evening but suffers a panic attack and stumbles out of the building where Rebecca finds and comforts him. Ted retreats to his hotel room where he is visited by Flo. Roy kisses Keely, then leaves abruptly. This is the best episode of the entire season, in my opinion. This is this is there's a lot of fantastic stuff going on here. Um, you see a chink in Ted's armor because now it's not just he's reacting to the end of his marriage, which you know, which any man would be sad about. Uh, when you love your wife, even after she's fallen out of love with you. But you are never given the impression that he has some form of mental illness going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you would never even suspect that. But yet here he is, for no reason that I could see in the narrative, he has a panic attack. Yeah. And you're like, oh, he's a human being. Okay, yep. cool. Well done. Um, my... The other part of this was uh, it was when Keely realizes that it's her voice on the uh, the hotel narrative, the whole, the hotel te- television, which everyone makes fun of her for, and I thought that was hilarious. And you know, like her, like, oh no, not this. Uh, that stuff was fun. The um, now I can talk about it because it happens in this episode. That speech by Nate is phenomenal. Oh, it's the best. It, it's yeah. it, it's like the best amateur comedy roast you'll ever hear. <laughs> Just the the level of insight that he has. He's not just a guy that understands soccer. He's not the kid in Little Giants who's like, okay, it's the Statue of Liberty play. Yeah, <laughs> he's not just a guy who un- who understands the strategy of soccer. He understands the psychology of the team mm-hmm. and their individual psychologies, and he's very insightful. You know, and the, he he's so trollish in the beginning, the way that he's portrayed, and then you realize, like, oh, he's like a great guy. And mm-hmm. perfect for this team and a real natural leader, if only give you know, would only given just a little push. Um, and I so I just love that speech. I can't even remember what all else he says to everybody, but him yelling at Roy, going, You used to be you used to run like you were mad at the grass, yeah, and you know, and then Roy rips the bench out of the wall, out of the out of the floor, <laughs> like perfect, yeah, <laughs> Hulk smash, yeah. Roy, we've not talked a whole lot about Roy, but his no. development through the show, um. It really is a fun ride with Roy. And he plays the gruff, aging veteran very, very well. Um, his mannerisms and his ability to express through body language is just superb. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed seeing the human side of Ted. Uh, I enjoy a good bit of karaoke in my television from time to time. Um, and Rebecca really does have a fantastic voice. Um, that pops up in season two as well, and it's a lot mm-hmm. of fun when it does. But uh, again, yeah, I know you said this was the the best episode of the show for you. Um, episode eight probably is for me, and we've touched on that outside of this conversation. Um, but I, I enjoyed episode seven. I enjoyed getting a little bit of extra depth in the characters and progressing mm-hmm. some of those relationships. And... and it feels like the writers were very deliberate. They, they knew where they were going. They knew how long they had to get there. And probably you know, more than anything about the show, 
was their ability to hit every beat on time. Nothing felt rushed. Nothing felt forced. Um, even the big moments fell in very naturally. And this was an episode that had a lot of big moments. And I thought they, they played it very well because on one hand, it felt like the episode went by very quickly because of everything that happened, but it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel rushed. Um, so even though it may not be my personal favorite episode, I think this is probably the episode where you see the talent of the writers and the directors to execute their story vision as well as anyone has done in recent years and certainly in the comedy field. Last thing I'll say about this, and then we'll go on to the next episode. This show up to this point, and really the whole thing that I can recall, but just up to this point, nobody does anything out of character stupid. Like we've <clears> talked <throat> about so many movies where people are doing things that don't make sense within the narrative of the of the story that they're telling. You're like, you know, and, and I don't know if you watch the Screen Rants pitch meeting, um, but the you know the, the 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 premise is that the producer is talking to the screenwriter and you know and so the producer will ask the screenwriter questions and the screenwriter always gives bad answers so one of them is like but why would that character do that that doesn't seem to make any sense and the screenwriter goes so the movie can happen <laughs> um screen ran pitch uh, pitch meetings you should watch them they're really funny I'll but have to give that a try but this seems relatively free of that People yep. make decisions in this that are seemingly within the realm of possibility and not just so the next scene can happen. Um, episode eight, The Diamond Dogs. Ted talks about his troubles concerning Flo with Beard, Nate and Higgins, and he nicknames the group The Diamond Dog. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> Keely talks with Roy and asks him to go out for coffee, which he declines to do being busy. Later that night, Jamie visits Keely and she asks him to stay. Keely later admits to Roy that she slept with Jamie, and Roy talks to Ted, who enlists the help of the Diamond Dogs. They help Roy see another perspective, and he goes off with Keely. Ted thanks Rebecca for her help during his first panic attack and offers to help her when she meets other team owners later that afternoon at a pub. There, Rebecca is blindsided by Rupert, who threatens to come to each game and criticize her handling of the team. In response, Ted makes a wager with Rupert over a game of darts, Ted wins, much to Rebecca's delight. On their way to dinner, Keely and Roy's kiss is caught on camera by paparazzi. Roy steals the paparazzi's memory card, but then the next morning in Rebecca's office, Higgins gets upset at her, quitting, and Keely storms into her office, having realized her plan to ruin the team and threatens to tell Ted. Uh, yeah, I'll let you start here, because I know this. you said this was your favorite episode, but more specifically, what happens in the pub really uh, positively got to you, so you can talk about that. Yeah, the the scene with the darts I feel like is the high point of the season, um, the high point of the show. And I think it's because of where they dropped it in. Um, mm -hmm. Because at this point, the relationship between Ted and Rebecca is very strained. You know, they've had some good moments. They've had some bad moments, but overall the, the plotting and planning to, to ruin the team, taking Jamie away, the, the stunt with the paparazzi, you know, all of this has created a very tense, atmosphere but ted made a promise that if she needed help he would be there and ted's the type of guy that keeps his promises um, we've talked about rupert being just a wonderful villain for this type of show um not not the the lex luther super villain type just a genuinely unlikable human being and 
by this point, even with his unrelenting positivity, you feel like Ted needs a win. Um, ever since his wife left him, there have been little glimmers of hope here and there, but overall, uh, Ted's not been on a good trajectory for a few episodes. And and the scene in the pub is just so satisfying. But again, without being hokey. Because there's still, they've done enough work throughout the series uh, of highs and lows and showing you that no, not everything is going to work out the way you want it to. That as Ted is throwing the darts, you're hopeful. You're, you're anticipating a, a really nice moment where the villain gets his comeuppance and, and Ted has this big moment and there's a feel-good moment for both him and Rebecca. But they've done enough work throughout the series to make you think, well, m- well, maybe it's not going to happen. Right. And their ability to create genuine suspense within the realm of a comedy, that, that is a rare thing. Um, as great of a show as The Simpsons is and has been for three decades, there's not a tremendous amount of suspense in it. Um, I can't think of really many comedies that created those moments where you were genuinely doubtful on whether something good would happen or not. Now, I know back in the 80s, there were always the very special episodes that dealt with things like kids hiding in refrigerators. Um, but those were pretty straightforward PSAs disguised as sitcom episodes. But season eight of Ted Lasso, the scene in the pub, they create genuine drama within the confines of a comedy with, uh, without allowing it to become overly heavy. And they give you a genuine feel-good moment where you can celebrate with the characters and it doesn't feel forced or cliched at all. And I think that the execution of that moment and the genuine emotion that it gives you, to me, it was by far the high point of the series. Yeah, I largely agree with you. Um, The thing that my big takeaway from the dark scene was that throughout this entire series, and and this is where Ted really vocalizes it and sends it home. He's like, the thing about everyone is they always underestimate underestimate me and and that's when he wins the dark game you know he, i think he says something like oh by the way i'm left-handed and he you know and he yeah. throws a bullseye um and that's the thing you know ted naturally purposefully however you want to frame it presents himself as unassuming mm-hmm. and so people think he's a mark to get over on but then he pulls a fast one on him and you and you never see it coming and and that is a large and that lends itself to a large part of his success and his likability, because I mean he has a lot to be. Look, he he coached a a football team to win. He's had a lot of successes. He he has every right to have an ego, but he doesn't. You know, he's he kind of does a lot of hands in the pockets, quiet. You know, a lot of his interactions with Jamie and with Jamie kind of getting the better of him. You know, as I like to call my son, last word Larry. You know, he uh, he he has you know he. Ted just backs off yep. because he knows that it's not about ego and it's not about having power in that situation. It's about event. It's about the horse. It's about the horse eventually getting to the water themselves and drinking it. Yeah, uh, and not being forced. Episode nine. All apologies, like Gavin's favorite band, Nirvana. 
that song. <laughs> that's that's a joke, everybody. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> Rebecca still has not told Ted about her attempts to sabotage the team and on the pitch. Roy is showing his age and there and are and there are calls to bench him. Ted refuses to do it, alienating him from the others. After Keeley's prompting, Rebecca tries to tell Ted but finds she cannot, and immediately afterward, Rupert comes and tells her he's having a baby with Bex. Rebecca marches down to Ted's office and confesses, but he easily forgives. Ted tells Roy he is benching him. Roy feels betrayed and goes to Keeley, who tells him he is more than just a footballer. Having been forgiven, Rebecca then seeks out Higgins and apologizes to him. Higgins returns to the club. In the bar, after Ted again states he is not concerned about wins, Beard angrily tells Ted that winning is important to him and the players. Ted finds Roy outside the pub and the two talk. Roy admits his age and they agree that, that they will claim Roy is injured so as to not embarrass him with a benching. At the next practice, Roy surprises Ted by showing up and donning a second team. Penny accepting his new role while still leading the team as they approach their last match. Um, I think Roy forgiving Rebecca and saying you're hurt and you lashed out and we all do th we all do things that we would regret when we're hurt is really the standout part of this episode for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, the stuff with Roy is good too. You know, there isn't a bad part to this episode, but I, I talked about this with Falcon and winter soldier, you know, forgiveness and wanting to be better are, are big things for me. These, these are elements of, uh, of drama that I relate to. Um, I know it's a weird thing to say about Falcon and Winter Soldier, but bear with me. Um, and so the idea that Ted understands Rebecca, this, this isn't about being angry or feeling betrayed. It's seeing where she is coming from and saying, okay, well, we're not crashed. We can still pull the nose up. Let's move past this. We, we still have to win games. And I'm like, huh, Ted's brilliant. Ted, Ted is a man after my own heart. Uh, forgiveness is important. And, and just to, and because we haven't had enough Marvel references for this Ted Lasso show. The other thing that it reminded me was uh, Endgame, you know, where Tony rides up on Avengers Compound and the first words out of his mouth to Steve are, turns out resentment is corrosive and I hate it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is absolutely yeah. true. It is, it is not good or healthy to hang on to hate. Nope. Um, and I love that that they don't even wait a scene. Ted doesn't like go somewhere to reflect about it. He, he just naturally kind of takes a deep breath and goes, shit happens. Let's move yep. past it. And, and it's just brilliant. And, and it really felt like this episode almost could have been the season finale. Um yeah, if, if they wanted to to call it quits after after episode nine and open the next season with the big match and use mm -hmm. that as the launching point for the next season, it would have felt completely natural. Um, it, it felt in many ways at the end of this episode like it should have been the end of the season. Um, but then they give us episode 10 full of these wonderful plot points and character development. And it really did put a nice bow on the end of the season. So I'm glad that I wasn't the person in charge of that because it, at the end of season nine, I really felt like, oh, okay, we're done. We we resolved everything and we'll open the next season with the big important football match. Right. Um, but no, they, it, it was a very well done episode. Um, 
again, you start to see some character development for Roy. It's been a long time coming, but you get mm-hmm. some character development from Roy. And everything is starting to fall into place. All of the narratives are starting to tie together. Um, and they wrap it up very well with episode 10. Um, yeah, let's get to it. So episode 10, the ho- it's the hope that kills you. Oh, ouch. Oh, oh, oh God. Hope, uh, hope is a dangerous thing. <laughs> Drive a man insane, says Morgan Freeman. Nate is promoted to coach, and he shows an inspirational video interview of Jamie. But after Jamie insults the team, they don't watch it. And someone heaves a chair at the television. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, Rebecca inspires Ted to cause chaos on the pitch and confuse the other team. Manchester City takes the lead of 1-0 in the second half. But Richmond pulls a trick play, set piece, and scores the tie up uh, the match. However... It is hopeless as Jamie makes an extra pass to a teammate who scores and wins the game for Manchester City. Heartbroken by the result and relegation, Ted attempts to cheer everyone up with some advice he offered Sam earlier in the season, and that together they will cut through it. They will get through it. Coach Beard brings Jamie an envelope from Ted with a letter congratulating him for the extra pass and a toy soldier to look after him. After seeing his father berate him for not scoring, meeting with Rebecca the next morning, Ted attempts to re- to resign. But she rebuffs him instead. Together, they decide to win promotion next season and then to win the Premier League once they are back. Uh, this will be the last thing I say, and then I'll give you the final word on this. Um, this was really a brilliant episode because, like you had said in, in the episode prior, you never quite know where the show is going. Mm-hmm. And because the show doesn't have some of the handcuffs on it that other type of shows do, um, they can afford to have some really tragic and disheartening moments because it ultimately betters the narrative. But, you know, as we say, the thrill is in the chase. So you got to knock your heroes down in order for them to get back up and rise to even higher heights. And so you talked about tension and I really didn't know who, who, how this was going to end. The, right. you know, there was a great story in them winning. You know, it's the Rocky story. There's a great story in them losing. It's the Rocky story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and it was like, I don't know where this is going. And I was truly surprised. And I and it was a very gratifying ending, regardless, because it was one of those things where, you know, like Jamie does the thing that Ted wanted him to do. And so yeah. it's even less about the fact that you win or lost. It's that Jamie's a slightly better person than he was. Yeah. He's changed by Ted. And isn't that what this has been all about? Roy has been changed by Ted. You know, he's not just a soccer player. He's a leader um, in this group of guys that need to be led. You know, things like that. They've learned to trust Ted. Like the whole, everyone was made better by the presence of Ted Lasso, which is what this whole show was talking about. Yeah. And uh, and it really made, it made me happy. You know, I, I've, I can't tell you how many, I just watched, finished watching Lucifer season six. And it's a nice ending. It, everyone, it ends where it ends with everyone kind of being where they should be, and it was very satisfying. It wasn't like Dexter or some shit like that, or The Sopranos, where you're like, "What the fuck?" You know, it was a very gratifying, satisfying ending. But I was ugly crying, like like fucking Coco. I was, just, <laughs> I got a little emotional. Um, I wasn't that bad with Ted Lasso, but I was, I was like happy crying, like, "Oh, this is great!" I'm so glad. Gavin made me watch this because I would never would have unless you had suggested it. And it turned out to be a very um, fulfilling experience. 
So um, I, but I, I liked, and I laughed hard. I laughed like, like, like guffawed, full out guffawed when he did the uh, tea is dirty water bit, garbage yeah. water, and like forgot it, drank it like an Alzheimer's patient and spat it in her face. And that look on Rebecca's face was like worth it. 10 episodes worth it just for that. I'll give you the um, word, sir. I, I enjoyed the fact that the team lost mm-hmm. um, because it served so many narratives. It served so many plot points that they had planted the seeds for throughout mm-hmm. earlier episodes. Um, you know, you, you got to see Nate's play calling work out. You, you got to see the bonding of the team. Um, Ted referencing be a goldfish again. Mm-hmm. Um Jamie making the extra pass that Ted had begged him to make in previous episodes. And that being the thing that ultimately dooms Ted Lasso's team. Um, There's, there's so much that, that gets tied together in that game. Um, But, you know, you, you mentioned getting emotional uh, earlier in the season Mm -hmm. for me, when Jamie gets the toy soldier, it it just like a ton of bricks Mm -hmm. Um, because, one, you know the significance of it for Ted, that it was a gesture from his son um, to have the army man always looking out for him. Um, and we see it pop up a couple of times throughout the, the season, but it, it it's not overdone. It, it doesn't become a cliche. He's not handing out little toy soldiers to everyone that he meets. Um, it's to people that need them. And he recognizes a hurt in Jamie. He recognizes, even in his best professional moment to date that there's no joy in it for Jamie. And so Ted tries to be the father figure that Jamie doesn't have. And that type of heartfelt writing and execution, uh, I thought made the entire season worth it. Um, The look on Ted's face when he sees the dad berating Jamie, I really thought he was just going to kick open the door and (laughs) like punch the dad out or something. And he was like, yeah, This is not my place to be here and just kind of moves on. But in credit to Jason Sudeikis for acting with his face, he knows exactly what's going on with Jamie and, and the horror and and the, and the, you know, how much he feels bad for Jamie. The sympathy is all in one look on Jason Sudeikis' face. It's really brilliant acting. Yeah. And so, you know, it leaves you on a high note as Mm -hmm. there's, genuine reconciliation with Ted and Rebecca, not just, Oh, I forgive you, but no, this is a partnership that's going to continue. Um, it, it lays out the, the overlying theme for, uh, the, the second season is, you know, they're going to try to get back to premier league. They're going to try to overcome relegation. I don't really know how any of that works. I know if you're not good, you get relegated. That's about all I know of. But do you, do you imagine? I, I know you're a big football fan. You imagine, you know, you're watching the Pick, Pittsburgh Steelers play, and they they lose so much they got to go to like the World League or the Canada League or some shit. Or God, or God help us all, the XFL. <laughs> yeah, that that I think that that puts it in perspective. Um, <laughs> but you know, even with that crushing defeat, nobody's spirits are down. Um, Mm. they process it and they look ahead, which, uh, like you said, everyone is better. Everyone is more optimistic. Everyone has a stronger countenance because of Ted Lasso. Um, we've seen growth in Ted himself. Um, everyone, 
everyone on the show has had some type of development. And, you know, I know we've praised the writing team tremendously on the show, but that's not an easy thing to do. It's easy to overlook the side characters. We didn't even talk about, you know, the insight that we get into Coach Beard's personality. Right. Um, and, you know, that that's worth paying attention to if you go through and watch the show if you haven't already, because getting the layers behind Coach Beard and this sort of idiot savant that he is in regards to life, it, it was a really nice inflection for him. So mm -hmm. it, I, I think that this show has probably done a better job in 10 episodes of giving every single character some development than anything I've ever watched. Um, I don't know if it's the best show that I've ever watched. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's even the best comedy that I've ever watched. Um, but it's certainly high on my list of the most enjoyable shows that I've watched. And kudos to the writing team. And like you said, to Jason Sudeikis, uh, it's easy to dismiss him as just the guy from Saturday Night Live. And mm -hmm. I know some of his comedy vehicles in theaters have not been the highest quality stuff. Um, but he shows genuine talent and depth in acting in Ted Lasso. And um, I was excited to start season two and I'm about halfway through it and enjoying it greatly so far and look forward to discussing that with you in the near future. Absolutely. Um, I don't watch a tremendous amount of comedies, like very, very few and far between. Um, but I mean, when I look at what won Emmys, you know, like this and the crown, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the yeah. crown has so much gravitas to it. And this also won a bunch of Emmys. And yeah. so, you know, but it deserves every last one of them. Hey, what are you listening to these days? What kind of music? When you you're out there and you know, you're you're writing your sermons or you're doing massages and you want to listen to some music, what do you listen to? Uh, with massages, it tends to be very ambient stuff that I tune out because I've been doing massage for 18 years and I hate it. Um, <laughs> I hate the music, not the massage part. Um, but uh, I listen to a lot of old Motown stuff. Listen to oh, a lot really? of Jackie Wilson. Um, that was dad's favorite was Jackie Wilson. So as the years have gone on, I've tried to dig into him a little bit more. Um, I listen to a lot of acapella stuff, not just pentatonics, but you know, I like acapella stuff. Um, uh, I've been on a sort of nineties rap and hip hop kick lately. I, I say nineties, it goes into the two thousands. When you're, when you're tooling around town with Vincent in his seat, he's got natural born killers playing. You're like, yeah, <laughs> he, uh, he enjoys outcast. I'm sure he does. He does. Um, <laughs> and then uh, one of the the only new bands that I have a whole lot of familiarity with, I think they've had three studio releases so far, is mm -hmm. uh, Nathaniel Wrightliff and the Night Sweats. Uh, well, I don't know if you know this or not, but we're giving away a free 30 days of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. And you can get all of that. You can stream all the Pentatonics and Outcasts and uh, all that stuff you just mentioned all day long for free for 30 days by clicking the link get amazonmusic.com slash w2m network that'll be in the description of this podcast um you click the link you fill out the sign up process you get the free 30 days on us you can stream all you want and if you love the service like i know you do like i know i do you can keep it uh for the nominal fee that you would pay even for apple music or spotify actually just raised their price it's probably cheaper than spotify right now um, so if you're already getting Amazon Prime and you're already using the other Amazon services, why not also get your music there too? So uh, full disclosure, 
Yes. Had no idea that this would be one of your reads. Had no idea that this was. <laughs> I have used Amazon Music Unlimited for several years now. Absolutely love the service. This is mm -hmm. a genuine endorsement for me. Um, I, I received no forewarning about this. Um, one of the things that I like most about it is that you can find literally anything you want on there. Um, they have a ton of live versions. They have a ton of obscure covers, mm -hmm. um, which I know Mark enjoys. Um, it, it really is a fantastic music service and it's something that I, I've used again for several years now and I'm very happy with it. So please take advantage, click the link and I think you'll be very pleased with what you find. I want to thank you, Gavin, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I'll have you on in about a month from now, and we'll do season two, and then yep. we'll see what happens. You know, I know you're a busy guy. You used to have a podcast. So I mentioned mentioned that at the top of the show. I know your buddy, your best friend, uh, and, and the uncle or godfather or whatever to your, <laughs> to your son, uh, Chris Evans. Uh, he – Chris Evans? Right? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, he uh, he uses the casual hero stuff to do gaming streaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, he's, he's keeping the spirit alive. Okay. All right. I, you guys think you'll ever go back to podcasting again, or do you got something else cooking on the books? You know, I I've actually bounced a whole bunch of ideas off of Chris uh, about podcasts. Honestly, the most difficult thing about it right now is getting our schedules to line up. Um, you know, Chris, in addition to podcasting, actually does have a real job. <laughs> um, and so he's a very busy guy um, mm. between two jobs and a wife and a toddler. Uh, I stay very busy as well. Um, but I would like to at some point get back into that. Maybe some of these ideas that we've been kicking around, we'll, we'll make an appearance and we'll throw our names into the podcast ring once again. Yeah. Maybe you can just, just for shits and giggles, have Pat and Jed uh, on a podcast and they can reenact Boogie Nights again. And and then you'll shoot yourself live on the podcast. You know that that was that was the death of the casual heroes. So, <laughs> um, if we ever decide that we want to start it up, that might be a good way to remind us why we stopped. <laughs> All right. In the meantime, uh, we had a busy week this week. We reviewed the Metallica Blacklist. Myself and Robert Winfrey reviewed James Wan's Malignant. We had a whole bunch of comics podcast drops, uh, a new, a brand new source material with Jesse and Cole Marin's Tat Talk and Transformers Back to the Future, and then two syndicated source materials, one for Why the Last Man, which is now uh, a show on FX on Hulu, and uh, the first issue of Savage Dragon. This weekend, we've got some clutch, old clutch episodes dropping. We have a clutch retrospective that we did in the first year of the Metal Hammer of Doom, and then our review of Earth Rocker from 2009. That'll be up all this weekend. And uh, next week, we'll have reviews for... You might actually enjoy these. Uh, we're going to do a triple feature for um, Clint Eastwood's new Western Cry Macho, which is day and date on HBO Max. We're going to link that up with Idris Ilba's Netflix Western, um, urban Western, as a matter of fact, Concrete Cowboy. And then the last part of the triple feature will be Hell or High Water. Um, we'll also, we'll also be reviewing Lucifer season six, the final season, plus Andrew WK's God is partying because of course he is. And, uh, and then finally, uh, one week from tonight, in theory, assuming Chris Bailey can get his shit together, um, we'll, uh, have a review of AEW Dynamite Grand Slam 
featuring Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan, whichever you like, versus the great Kenny Omega. And this is their debut in the former Shea Stadium, now the Arthur Ashe Stadium. And then myself and Pat Mullen will be doing another Four Kings of Boxing, focusing on Thomas Hearns. All right. For Gavin Napier of the Casual Heroes, I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.